When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder here from Silver and Black Pride. We got our Wednesday show for you, our Behind Enemy Lines podcast. And I got a friend on over here with me. I don't know if, I don't know, Stephen, should I call you a friend since you are the, uh, the Arrowhead Pride, the Chiefs representative over there? But how are you doing, Stephen? How, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, yeah, I'm great. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, you can call me a friend. You I'm not, All right. you know, I, I'm not a like a diehard Chiefs fan. I did grow up in Kansas City, but I kind of describe myself to people as I'm a fan of every NFL team in some <laughs> aspect. Like I, yeah, I, sure. I just kind of pick players that I root for more than I do individual teams. Some people love that about me at Arrowhead Pride. Some people hate that about me. So <laughs> gotcha. I, I, I don't take it personally. That's just kind of how I am when it comes to football. Good to know. Well, I'm glad to let Raider Nation know we don't we don't have a Chiefs homer in the in the building today. We have uh, someone who's a little more more. Uh, more neutral, I guess, at least there. But uh, real quick, before we get started, Stephen, I know you said you uh, like covering the NFL, so I imagine you got a lot of good NFL content. Where can uh, people find you? Yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Stephen Serta, it's just my name. Uh, put a ton of stuff out for Arrowhead Pride, but I'm also a part of the SB Nation NFL show, so we're doing a ton of cool stuff over there. So if you want to follow me, I tweet out a ton of podcasts. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I always like to start these out by talking about the team as a whole. And I think the Chiefs are a really interesting subject since they're sitting at four and four, played up and down throughout the year. So what are your thoughts on the Chiefs season so far and their outlook for the rest of the year? Uh, my, I, that's, there's a lot going on <laughs> yeah. for the Chiefs this season, right? As far as the outlook goes for the rest of the season, I honestly don't have a good answer for you because I just don't know what we're going to get from this Chiefs team week in and week out. The first month of the season, they looked like the most efficient offensive unit in football. We're moving the ball like crazy, still putting up points, but they were turning the ball over at a historic rate. Now the turnovers have slowed down a little bit and we thought those were going to kind of come back to earth. And <laughs> now all of a sudden they can't play offense anymore, but the defense <laughs> is looking a little bit more competent. So they've been a frustrating team to watch and cover because and some of it's probably a little bit unfair on our part because expectation every year now is you're a Super right. Bowl team. You're the best team in football. You have to do this every single season. And those expectations aren't necessarily fair. Like teams just have up and down years. That's way the way the NFL works and the parody this season has been absolutely nuts as we just saw last week. Um, I still think they're a playoff team. I don't think that they're going to like go on a run here and win every game and somehow lock up this one seed in the AFC or something like that. But I still think they're firmly in the mix just because the AFC is totally wide open right now. Yeah. Well, I think you kind of answered my, uh, my next question and I was going to be like the chiefs have won back-to-back games for the first time all season. So you, so do you think they finally turned the corner or is it kind of a TBD at this point? Um, no, I don't. Uh, (laughs) I'm not confident at all that they've turned a corner. Um, I think this matchup is really interesting between these two teams because they had two brilliant games between each other last year. And there is 
still some of that, you know, Raiders Chiefs magic uh, in the rivalry. I don't think that they've turned a corner because I still don't think they know what they want to do or or who they want to be. They haven't done a good job this season of adjusting offensively. And the defense is coming along. Frank Clark is healthy now and starting to make an impact. They finally moved Chris Jones back inside instead of trying to use him as an edge rusher. And the last two games, he's had his biggest impact of the season. He was also dealing with torn ligaments in his wrist that he said he's going to be dealing with the rest of the year. But he's finally starting to look like that kind of game wrecker, havoc wreaker that we're used to seeing in Kansas City. And adding Melvin Ingram, I think, is going to be huge. Like Melvin Ingram looks like he should still be a starter and the Steelers just simply weren't using him that yeah. way. So it seems like their pass rush is turning a corner. Uh, they're finally giving Dan Sorensen less snaps. Uh, <laughs> if I could say anything to your podcast listeners, when number 49 is on the field for the Kansas city chiefs, Derek Carr should target him at <laughs> all costs because whoever Dan Sorensen is trying to cover is probably open. He is maybe the worst gotcha. defender in the NFL this season. And He's been finally getting less snaps and they've been using Juan Thornhill more. So that's all looking good for the chiefs right now. I still think their defense is flawed and I still think you can totally exploit that part of the ball, even though they've been playing better, but they're going to win football games because of the offense. Like you're not going to get to play Jordan love. Like they did last week, every single week. And the chiefs have the toughest schedule left in football. And so you're going to have to play some heavy hitters, uh, down the stretch. And I don't know that I'm confident in the defense. And then the offense struggles. It's just like, you're just assuming that Andy Reed's going to turn it on and figure it out. Right. You're just yeah, assuming yeah. that Patrick Mahomes is going to turn it on and figure it out, but they haven't figured it out yet. And really the offense has looked as bad as it's looked under in the Mahomes era over the last two games. So Definitely they're a hard team to cover right now. Cause I just don't know what to expect on a <laughs> weekly basis. I'm just sitting back and kind of waiting for this offense to figure it out. Cause you just assume that they're too talented to not figure it out at some point. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, Steven, you must be reading my mind. Cause I think every single player you brought up was someone who I was planning on talking about, but the first guy I think we got to start with is obviously going to be the quarterback, the guy that uh, everyone likes, loves to talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes. And there's this narrative right now that kind of defensive quote unquote figured him out or whatnot. And, um, you know, he's playing a little bit too much hero ball. So is that something that, in, in, in your opinion, are either of those really true? Or is that something that, you know, is an issue for him and something that he needs to figure out for the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I think it is true to an extent. Um, the turnovers obviously were just insane. And it was like early on, it was every week the Chiefs were finding a new way to turn the football over. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes was finding a new way to have a ridiculously terrible interception. And they've been playing a little bit more safe the last two weeks and trying to do more of, we just got to give or take what the defense gives us. And a lot of that is defenses simply aren't blitzing Patrick Mahomes anymore. And that was where he was putting up insane numbers. Just he was getting blitzed. And when you blitz him, he made you pay every single time. And it was always down the field because that's where he goes. That's where he looks. He's not looking to check down. He wants to make big plays and and be a part of an explosive offense. And so I, I don't think that defenses have figured him out. I think the chiefs have done 
a poor job of adjusting to that. And I think some of that is Mahomes mentality. Like you can coach a quarterback to be successful within a system and, you know, make the right reads and do all that stuff. But at the end of the day, a lot of times we see guys when the pressure's on them, they kind of revert back to what they know. And for Patrick Mahomes, it's drifting really deep in the pocket, Mm -hmm. breaking the pocket, getting out to the sideline and trying to make a big play downfield. And that just hasn't worked this much that much this year because teams aren't blitzing. And so they've got more coverage on the field. They've got more players focused on Kelsey and Hill because the chiefs don't have another reliable pass catcher. So I don't know if Josh Gordon's going to be that guy for this offense, but I I don't think that defenses have figured it out. Like, like I said, I'm still like kind of sitting back waiting, like Andy Reid's got to make an adjustment. Like (laughs) I said last week, they need to dust off the Alex Smith playbook (laughs) a little bit. And that's crazy to say, You never thought we would be here when Patrick Mahomes (laughs) took over for Alex Smith. But one thing that Alex Smith was really, really successful at during his time in Kansas city was those design screenplays that the chiefs just don't run anymore. And they used to be just the chiefs bread and butter in that system. And I think they got to do some more stuff like that because that's going to push defenses to stop playing uh, all this cover two and only rushing four and stuff like that. They're going to have to be a little bit smarter about how they approach that. And so I think most of it is the chiefs not figuring things out because they've had so, so much success the last couple of years. They just have faith that like, no, we're just going to keep doing our thing right. and eventually it'll work and it's just not working. And I, I think they got to make an adjustment sooner or later. Yeah. It's that, uh, that stubborn philosophy too, where it's like, get coaches that are, that are so invested in their system. And then when start stuff starts to change, it's like, all right, well now you got to kind of go back and reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You mentioned that you mentioned the two deep safety look um, and where teams are essentially, like you said, taking away the deep step, forcing Mahomes to kind of go through his progressions and check it down. Is that something he struggled with in the past? Or is this just like a new revelation where people have realized defenses realized we just don't have to blitz this guy. We just have to kind of sit back and make him pick us apart. Yeah. So it's, it is something he struggled with in the past, but it's like when you put his struggle games up against other quarterbacks struggle games, it's still like, Oh, well, he still threw for 300 yards and had two touchdowns, you know? So it did. He had games early on, um, especially the Broncos are a team that have given him some trouble in the division. Uh, The chargers are a team that have given him some trouble in the division because the way those teams approach it, And it's how everybody's playing them this year. But I I think the turning point was the Super Bowl where, you know, Tampa Bay was just able to wreak havoc on him all night. It was the worst game of his professional career and the offensive line had a lot to do with that. But since then, I I think that's where this this pressing narrative really came from was. Because in that game, he was, but that was the only thing he could do. <laughs> kind of had to. And so, yeah. And so I think since then, he's he's just doing that every week now. And teams are taking that game plan and just saying, oh, he can't figure it out. And I think eventually he'll come back down to earth a little bit with it. And hopefully the Chiefs will start scheming more things to make his life a little bit easier and not have to make those crazy throws all the time. But it's it's something that he struggled with in the past, but it's not something that's like shut him down and made him look like he's an average level quarterback the way it has this season. 
Gotcha. Well, I did want to ask you about Mahomes' feel for pressure and ability to navigate the pocket because that's one area I think he's kind of always struggled with, and it's just been the most evident this year. Um, has that improved from year to year, or has that kind of gone on and just teams are now being able to start to take advantage of that? I think it's probably gotten a little bit worse. Um, okay, interesting. I think that early on it was working so well that they didn't care about it. And now that it's not working as much, it's glaring. Like, and the same could be said about a lot of players in the NFL. Like when it works, we overlook the mistakes and we overlook the small things. Uh, I, I make the comparison of, you know, chiefs, great running back Jamal Charles was an incredible player at the NFL level. Jamal Charles had huge problems holding on to the football his entire career. He fumbled like crazy. And we never talked about it here in Kansas City because Jamal Charles was incredible. <laughs> and he was on some really bad Chiefs teams where he was just the best player on those teams. And that's kind of always been Mahomes' thing is that he's going to drop back deep. He's going to try to extend because he wants to look downfield and he can always make the throw. Like even when you're like, there's no way he's going to make that throw, he makes that throw. And so when it works, we don't care. But when it's not working, it becomes a big problem. So I I would say he's probably gotten a little bit worse at it. But I think that that's what he's done throughout his entire NFL career. This is just the first season that it's actually biting him. Gotcha. You bring up Jamal Charles. And I I tell you, man, you're going to give some Raider fans PTSD. And especially me. I I still remember that. What was it? It was you have five or six touchdowns in Oakland. uh, What was it like back in like 2014 or something like that? And I was I was playing him in fantasy that week, too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was five. It was the fantasy playoffs. I was also eliminated that week. I'm a huge fantasy player. So I I remember the losses like that. Yeah. That, that burned on both ends. I'll never forgive him for that, but a hell of a player. Well, let's move on to some of Mahomes' weapons. And I did want to ask you about this because it seems like teams have been able to slow down either Travis Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, not necessarily both all the time, but at least one of them, which Hasn't been the case in recent years. Usually both those guys go off for at least like a hundred yards and a touchdown each. So have you noticed something that defenses are treating those two guys differently than how have they, than they've done in the past? Well, as far as Tyreek Hill goes, I, I think you could point to the chiefs early matchups in the Mahomes era with uh, Bill Belichick, like Ty- Tyreek Hill had a couple of monster games and then Belichick said, okay, that's the dude we're taking away. And so he would just double it just, okay, we'll give you Tyreek for eight, but we're not going to give you Tyreek for 50. And and I think that's just kind of how everybody is playing them this season. And, you know, Sammy Watkins for all the injuries and kind of ups and downs that he had in Kansas city, he was a really important player for this offense because he was just reliable, at least with Sammy Watkins. You always knew, Sammy's going to be in the right place at the right time. He's going to run the right route. He's going to be where you need him to be. And they got a bunch of guys that are struggling with that right now. So all of that, they're trying to replace the, the simple like football things that Sammy Watkins did with like four different guys. And none of them are doing a very good job of it. And so that's making it easier to take Tyreek Hill away where we've seen recently, instead of being this otherworldly deep threat that we're used to seeing, he is kind of more of like a possession wide receiver right now where he's getting a ton of targets and still, you know, putting up decent numbers or whatever, 
but it's, you know, eight yards, 10 yards, 12 yards, instead of the 40, 50 yard bombs, like we're used to. And him and Kelsey were both banged up a little bit early in the season, but you know, they're, they're saying that they're healthy now, as far as Kelsey goes, I kind of got into it with somebody at Arrowhead pride uh, this past week because they were saying like, Oh, Kelsey just looks slow. He looks like he's lost a step. I don't think that's the case. I, I think it's another product of, okay, we're just not going to cover Travis Kelsey with linebackers anymore. We're going gotcha. to, we, we can put a corner and a safety that are totally dedicated to Tyreek Hill. And then we could put a corner or a safety on Travis Kelsey and make it tougher for them to get the ball to him. And some of it is to Mahomes still pressing too much. Mm-hmm. Like there was a clip circulating this week where, Uh, It was a free play and Patrick Mahomes could have easily hit Travis Kelsey for like a 15 yard gain or whatever. Instead, he chucked it down the field to McCole Hardman, who was covered by like three different people. Uh, But that's Mahomes. That's what he's going to do. And that's why that's why you love him or hate him. So I always want Patrick Mahomes to continue to do that. I, I think it's I think the struggles with Hill and Kelsey this season aren't necessarily on them. It's more about how teams are playing them. And it's more a product of the Chiefs thinking that they could skate by this offseason without adding another wide receiver who could give them consistent production outside of those two guys and just kind of cobbling it together and hoping it worked out. So kind of what it sounds like what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense too, is kind of the the same revelation that Mahomes has struggled with sitting back playing in coverage has kind of obviously had a big impact on Tyreek Hill's game as well and kind of forced him to change uh, the way he's played, if I'm understanding that correctly. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think it was against, it was against the giants. Like Tyreek Hill had like 18 targets or something in that game, which is, which is a big number for anybody, but it was Mm -hmm. because he couldn't find Kelsey. And so, and he couldn't get anything going downfield. So he just, all right, Tyreek, 12, 12 yard route here to (laughs) take the ball. And like Tyreek, I think had over a hundred yards in that game, but it was all, you know, shorter passes than we're accustomed to a guy who can blow the top off of a defense like that. Sure. And the other thing I uh, you brought up that I wanted to talk about too was Kansas City's number two wide receiver, which has obviously been a hot topic of conversation. And they've tried a few players like Nico Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and even Josh Gordon to try and replace what what they lost in Sammy Watkins this offseason. So who is that number two guy for the Chiefs? And is he someone that Raider fans need to know about? And I think I know the answer to the latter based on what you were saying before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's anybody that you need to know about. Um it's it's really been a mix of well they brought in Josh Gordon and he he's been getting more and more snaps each week since he became a part of the team and then McCole Hardman and then Demarcus Robinson and then Byron Pringle are, are like the four guys and little bit of like little sprinkle of Marcus Kemp in there too but it, it's really those main four guys and Gordon has not had an impact at all so far. Um, Andy says that's still them trying to get him used to the offense and trying to get him involved. Maybe he's just not that guy anymore. I I think that they were hoping he was going to be a a serious impact player that they were getting at a discount. And, you know, maybe he's just not that guy anymore. Maybe he's just been away from football for too long. Uh, I'd love to see Josh Gordon turn into that dude, but so far he has not been anything close to that. Uh, Early in the season, Demarcus Robinson, was like the number three guy who was getting way more snaps than he needed to be. And Demarcus Robinson's never been a high impact player. He spent a lot of time here in Kansas city, 
But over the last several weeks, McCall Hardman's kind of overtaken him and he's seen a lot less snaps than he was, which is what you want to see because McCall Hardman's a former second round pick who (laughs) was drafted ahead of DK Metcalf. Like Chiefs fans will never forget that. (laughs) And he's just simply not an all around playmaking wide receiver. Like he is super fast. He can take the top off of a defense but he's basically got one trick in his bag. He, he, he's just not a consistent route runner, consistent, uh, going to be in the right place at the right time. He's got a really bad problem with drops. Like I, I've compared him a lot to former Chargers wide receiver, Travis Benjamin. Like that's who he reminds me of. He's just, he's a guy who in the right circumstance can give you an 80 yard touchdown and his stat line. If you just look at that, it'll wind up looking pretty good. But other than that, he's never going to be consistent. He's never going to give you what you need from like a number two wide receiver, which is basically how the Chiefs are using him right now. Yeah. Well, I can tell you as a Raider fan, I am very glad to not have to deal with both Tyreek Hill and DK Metcalf. So I'm uh, glad that he ended up sliding. Yeah. But there are 31 other teams that are uh, kicking themselves for not drafting that guy too. So. so speaking of the draft, and real quickly, I just want to touch on this. And it's hard to believe I'm saying this, but is finding another weapon on the outside going to be a priority for the Chiefs this offseason? I hope so. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, the offensive line is still kind of a work in progress. And obviously, after the Super Bowl loss, that was their priority this offseason. They went and got Orlando Brown. And then they absolutely nailed Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, who have been two standout players on their interior offensive line. I think the right tackle position is still up in the air. Um, it's been kind of a rotation of Mike Remmers and Lucas Niang. Now they're both hurt. Uh, so we'll kind of see as the week goes on, if they wind up being available for this game, but there's a chance they could be missing both of the right tackles that they've had start for them this season. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I think that position's still up in the air. So that could still be a priority for them as they try to reinforce the, the guys in front of Patrick Mahomes. But I hope wide receivers a priority. Uh, the, I think the, the big problem with the Chiefs and Andy Reid is that why I never thought they were going to draft a guy like DK Metcalf, although in hindsight they obviously should have, <laughs> is that Andy's just not a, a big-bodied wide receiver guy like that. Like Andy's always like the smaller, fast guys, You know, even going back to his time in Philadelphia. And McCall Hardman fits that. McCall Hardman's just not an all-around wide receiver. So – I hope that it's a priority, but I think they're going to have some other spots that they have to, that they have to look into. Like, I think pass rusher is going to be a a big need for them in the off season. Uh, Melvin Ingram's not going to be here past this season. And Frank Clark's probably going to get cut in the off season because they can offload a bunch of money by getting rid of him. Yeah. You brought that up. I'm like, I was thinking back, even in Andy's time in Philly, it was Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin was kind of the the two big name receivers that he had back there. So. But you bring up the offensive line, so it's a, a nice natural transition, and you talked about it a little bit, but obviously there's been a lot of changes for the big uglies up front for the Chiefs um, ever since basically the Super Bowl. I think almost every starter is completely new, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Every, so, <laughs> every, every yeah. position on the line is different. Every position. Wow. Wild. Um, so as a whole, can you kind of compare the Chiefs unit uh, this year to last year's? Um. Their offensive line hasn't been as bad as like Chiefs fans would make you believe. They're, it's kind of funny how they built it. Like, you know, we spent when the Ravens decided to deal Orlando Brown to the Chiefs, like a lot of the narrative was, 
what are the Ravens doing? Why would you give the Chiefs a tackle when they desperately, we know the offensive line is the thing that can beat them. Mm -hmm. And Orlando Brown was an exceptional run blocker for the Baltimore Ravens. He was an okay pass blocker in this season. He's been a fantastic run blocker has not been a good pass blocker. Mm -hmm. And part of that's part of why, you know, you got to try to get Mahomes to take smaller drops because that's part of the issue with them too, is that Orlando Brown just doesn't look like he's got the athleticism to get to a spot fast enough when you've got some like hyper athletic speed rushers. Like we really saw it against the Tennessee Titans where Harold Landry was just absolutely torching the chiefs. And they've got kind of an athlete problem uh, at the bookends of their offensive line where the interior it's also exceptional at run blocking. And so some of that is like the chiefs need to think about running the football more because that's what the offensive line's good at. They're not a particularly good pass blocking offensive line. And last season, it's kind of hard to compare them to last season because, you know, Mitchell Schwartz, who had been an exceptional right tackle for years here in Kansas city was hurt basically the entire season. And he's tried to play through it at the beginning of the season, but clearly wasn't himself, was really struggling and really hurting. And so he eventually wound up missing the rest of the season with the back injury. And it's still like, he's still not on a team. And this is a guy that was the best right tackle in football, arguably for several years. And then Eric Fisher did a really good job holding down that left tackle spot. And Eric Fisher's always kind of been, an underrated left tackle. Like he was never the best left tackle in football, but he's a former number one overall pick who was just really solid for the chiefs for a really long time. Like you could put Fisher in the lineup and you knew Fisher wasn't going to be a straight up liability. And, and so I think he got a little bit of a bad rap, but he was always solid. And then when he went down in the AFC championship game, it was like, Oh no, like this, 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 this thing's just falling apart. Now this thing is going to be bad. And then we saw in the super bowl, what that looked like once Eric Fisher went down. Um, I still think, I still believe by the way, it, that game plays out a little bit different if Eric Fisher doesn't get hurt because he had been so good for them last season, that unit was a better pass blocking team. Um, and I think they were particularly stronger at the tackles when that unit was a hundred percent healthy but they had to blow it up. They chose not to take a risk on Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, hopefully being healthy this season and just rebuilding the entire unit. And so far it's kind of forked out. It's, it's better than what they had in the Super Bowl, but it's still not exactly where you want it to be. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned Lucas Niang, and I think you said, I'm not sure if you said he's going to be out for sure or is injured right now. And then so is same thing with Mike Remmers, um, kind of similar situation. So, I guess two-part question, what are the odds that either of those two play? And then if they aren't able to go, is, do you have any idea who might be playing right tackle for the Chiefs on Sunday? Uh, so we will see uh, later this week, really, uh, about, uh, about their injury designations. Uh, Lucas Niang left the game and, and did not return for the Chiefs this past weekend. And then Mike Remmers has been out the last couple of games. And actually – Lucas Niang had really struggled. Uh, he started the season as their starting right tackle, and then he was really struggling. And so they put Mike Remmers back in as their starting right tackle, and he was actually playing pretty good. Pretty good. And then he got hurt. Now he's missed a couple of games. Lucas Niang comes in. He's really struggled again. Now he's hurt. I believe they put Andrew Wiley in at right tackle, so that might be 
who you guys are going to be looking at. He's really more of a guard, but he's kind of what they got right now. Once you lose your two, your two right tackles, then you start diving into that pot of like backup guards. And they're so strong at guard with uh, Tooney and Trey Smith that they can move some of those guys around. And I think they were really hoping that they would have, Kyle Long back at this point in the season. He started the season on pup after getting injured yeah. in training camp. And it sounds like he's not going to be ready to go anytime soon. So if both those guys are out, you're probably looking at Andrew Wiley as the uh, starting right tackle for the chiefs this weekend. Interesting. Well, you bring up the the interior guys, the guards, the Trey Smith and Joe Tooney. And I actually think that's one place where the, the chiefs have actually upgraded from the year past. Um, can you talk about what those guys have brought to the offense since they're both new to the team? Yeah, so Trey Smith seems like he's one of the biggest steals of the draft, you know, and and this is a guy who was recruited in college as one of the best offensive line prospects in the country and then had some injuries, had some issues and stuff, and it made him kind of plummet in the draft, and the Chiefs were able to get him in the sixth round. And he was day one, like, oh, this guy might be the best offensive lineman on the Mm -hmm. team. And so it was really apparent like in preseason OTAs and mini camp and then into training camp, like, Oh, he's going to be their starting guard. And he's been exceptional. Like he, he's just a mauler. He's a pancaker. He's fantastic. Like they could not have done better in the sixth round of the NFL draft than drafting a day one starter. who looks like he could be a serious player for them for a long time. Uh, and Tooney has been, exactly what you paid for. Like you made him one of the highest paid guards in football. And he's been that he's, he's had some moments where he he's gotten burned up the middle a little bit, but like, you know, he he's a veteran player and he's basically been a model of consistency. And I think he's actually been really important for the development of Creed Humphrey and and Trey Smith, like having a guy like that, who's had a lot of success in the NFL and and been a really good player for a long time. I I think he's been kind of instrumental in the development of those two rookies that are on the side of them. Gotcha. Kind of a a small little fun fact, personal story for me. I have my, my senior year at college. I, one of my good friends, he was uh, on our team too. And he was telling us about his cousin. He's like, yeah, my cousins, he's a, really good offensive lineman. He's, you know, one of the best recruits in the country going to go to Tennessee. He's going to be in the NFL one day. And we're all of us are kind of just like, okay, yeah, whatever. Turns out it was Trey Smith. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And uh, now, yeah. And then ended up being a, like you're talking about a potential first round, maybe a mid round guy and medical issues caused him to slide, but turns out my buddy was right. His cousin is one hell of a player. So yeah, Um, he's been, he's been absolutely fantastic for that. Absolute steal. Yeah. To wrap up the offensive line, um, I want to talk about another impressive rookie, and that's center Creed Humphrey, who is currently PFF's highest-graded center. What has he brought to the Chiefs offense, and are you surprised by his early success? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm surprised. Like, It's obviously nice to have that center that you don't ever have to worry about, and having that in a rookie player is really important. And I, I, I would say that it speaks – to Andy Reed a little bit there. Andy Reed's always had a way of finding centers in the draft. It feels mm-hmm. like, and, you know, finding a way to, to make that position valuable for them. Uh, and they did it with Mitch Morse uh, center from Missouri. Who's now the center for the Buffalo bills and still 
one of the stronger centers in football. Uh, the Chiefs let him walk in free agency because he had some injury problems and he's really had a nice career in Buffalo since leaving Kansas city. And the chiefs just did the same thing with Creed Humphrey. And, you know, like Rodney Hudson's also like another fantastic center. Who's a former Kansas city chief. Like it just seems like some teams are just good at drafting certain positions. And I think center is just one of those positions that the chiefs happen to be good at drafting. I'm, I'm trying to think, I think it probably has been too long, but did he also maybe draft Jason Kelsey, uh, Jason Kelsey too, and Philly, maybe, maybe it was that, a little past. I'm not sure about. I can't recall exactly yeah. when Kelsey came into the NFL, but it's certainly possible. But I mean, either way, like you're talking about Mitch Morse, Rodney Hudson, Creed Humphrey, that's an impressive resume for Andy Reid as far as uh, adding some centers go. But Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And then real quick before we uh, wrap up the offense and move to the defense, um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Rumors that he might return last week. Obviously, that didn't happen. Just curious, is there any chance that he might come back? And uh, who have the Chiefs kind of been using um, to replace him? Because it looks like it's a bit of a committee approach. Yeah, um, I don't think he's going to be back this week. Andy Reid kind of made it sound like he might be another week away. Um, He has been doing some stuff in practice, but it sounds like the Chiefs are kind of fine bringing him back slow. So, I will, we'll find out more later in the week, but I'd be surprised if he played this week. Uh, Daryl Williams has been on this team for a couple of years now and the chiefs really like him. He's not a special player by any means, but like he's consistent. He's a decent blocker. He can catch passes. So he's going to be heavily involved. He's kind of been their number one back with Clyde out. And then they brought up practice squad player, Derek Gore, who Andy Reed kind of jokingly compared to Gail Sayers in training camp for this season, Uh, but he's actually looked really good when he's gotten some run. Like Derek Gore has actually got a little juice and a little pop to his game. So he's been good. And then Jarek McKinnon, they kind of used him more against the Packers than they had really all year. I think a lot of us thought that Jarek McKinnon was going to have a bigger role in the chiefs passing game this year. Cause that's kind of what he's best at. That's where he excels but it hasn't really worked out that way. He, he doesn't get a ton of snaps, but he did get a, a decent run against the Packers where they were trying to utilize him a little bit more in the passing game. So I think that's something that the Chiefs could try to do more of as they continue to struggle to pass the football down the field. But those are really the three running backs they've been utilizing. Gotcha. Well, let's pivot to the Chiefs defense. Now you talked a little bit about Chris Jones playing inside the beginning of the year, or excuse me, playing outside in the beginning of the year, moving back inside in recent weeks. So can you dive into what his role on the Chiefs defense is this year? 
Well, at the start of the year, it was, uh, we need you to just be our best pass rusher and we're going to put you inside and outside. And we need you to have a high level of impact playing multiple positions throughout a game. Uh, I do think that experiment's over. We saw him play a very high number of snaps on the interior this past week. And Melvin Ingram has a huge part to do with that. Then bringing him in, I think is going to make them revert to what they found success with in the past, which is, you know, trying to have two guys coming off the edge and Frank Clark and Melvin Ingram. And then hopefully Chris Jones can wreak some havoc up the middle. And that's what he's best at. That's what he's been elite level at it during his NFL time. And that's where he should be. And so in my opinion, when Chris Jones is healthy and playing within the position that he should be playing, I think he's the chief's most important defensive player. And, you know, and that's really with a guy like Tyron Matthew, who's really, really important to what they do too. I just don't think that there's a player this chief's defense has who can single-handedly influence a game the way that Chris Jones does on the defensive side of the ball. So thankfully he's going to be playing more on the interior where he can do that more because he was just not effective as an edge player. Gotcha. Yeah. I've always felt like the, Tyron Matthews, like more of the, the vocal leader, like kind of the voice of the defense, whereas Chris Jones has always kind of been that more impact player. Not to say that Tyron Matthews is not an impact player, but Chris Jones has just been able to, to wreak havoc on the AFC West for the last few years and has uh, made my heart hurt. And even even a few times wanted him to join the Raiders when there was a potential he'd be a free agent, but I didn't think Kansas City would let him walk anyway. But Yeah, thankfully they paid Chris Jones, so hopefully yeah. he'll stay here for a while. Well, uh, how, I'm just curious then, how would you keep her? How would you, if you were an opposing offense coordinator, keep Jones in check? Or how have you seen other offensive lines be able to do it this year? Uh, run at him. Run at him. Gotcha. He's as special as he can be rushing the passer from the interior. Chris Jones leaves a lot on the table in the running game. Uh, I think part of that is his style is that, you know, he wants to hit the quarterback. He wants to prove that, He's, you know, on that Aaron Donald level interior pass rusher type of player. And he really has been the last couple of years. Um, You know, Aaron Donald's kind of in a tier of his own, but Chris Jones has consistently been that like number two guy who can create that type of pressure up the middle. But one thing that he struggled with his entire career is the run. Like you can run right at him. You can you can, you know, you can pull a guard or whatever and blow Chris Jones up in the running game because he's just looking to make sacks. And that's kind of a flaw in his game. So, yeah, if you want to get him out of the football game, just run the football. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, the Raiders have struggled to run the ball, but it's gotten better in the last few weeks. So we'll see how that plays out. But Melvin Ingram, obviously, you've only seen him on the, the Chiefs for a week, but I'm assuming you know him fairly well due to his time at the Chargers. What are your expectations from him? And what do you think he adds to Kansas City's defense that was missing before? Well, I, I think that, you know, like we just talked about, Chris Jones moving right. inside and him giving them that ability. And he did it immediately in his first game as a chief, which is fantastic. And, you know, Pitt, Pittsburgh kind of decided we want to give our young guys a chance because we like what we got in Highsmith and they actually signed Taco Charlton, who they think can be like a rotational player for them. So they wanted to give those guys an opportunity and it was leading to lesser snaps for Melvin Ingram. And he obviously still thinks he can play at a starter caliber level. Like he's not just a situational pass rusher that you see a lot of teams bring in, 
you know, mid to late season on at the end of their careers where they're just trying to go on a ring run or something like that. Like Melvin Ingram still thinks that he can be a highly productive player. And in his first game for the chiefs, he looked like it. And now Frank Clark's finally getting healthy. The last two games of Frank Clark were the best I've seen him look and maybe a year and a half. <laughs> like, cause I, cause I did not feel that like Frank Clark looked good much at all last season. Uh, he really had a down year and some of it was injuries and whatever, but he, he just wasn't very good last season for the chiefs. And the last two games, Frank Clark has looked as good as he's looked in a long time for the Kansas city chiefs. And so I think that adding Melvin Ingram, if Frank Clark keeps playing like this, and then you know the consistency that you can get out of a player like Melvin Ingram, and then Chris Jones moving back inside, like that all says that this pass rush should actually be good again because for the first six weeks of the season, they were one of the worst pass rushes in the NFL. So if they can just be a middle-of-the-pack pass rush, that's a big improvement on what they were doing early in the season. It's funny. I was going to ask you about uh, about um, Frank Clark's aggression. So I'm curious, is that – is that something that's been injury related? Is there something that you can kind of put your finger on that has been part of the problem the last few years? I know the last couple of weeks he started to turn it on, but what's kind of gone behind that? Yeah, I think a lot of it is injury related. And I, and some of it is just that, you know, guys lose explosiveness in the yeah. NFL. And Frank Clark is, is also dealing with some legal issues off the football right. field right now. So I, I'm sure that that, you know, plays into your kind of mental psyche and getting prepared and trying to stay focused on a football game. But I think some of it is just that, yeah, injuries pile up and guys just lose explosiveness and it happens to some guys a lot faster than it does to others because the way he's looked the last two games, I didn't think Frank had it in him anymore. Personally, like I thought he was done. I was like, Frank, Frank's going to get cut this off season so they can try to try to offload that contract and then Frank is a guy who like maybe bounces around one or two other teams. And then he's probably done. And I, that like, I said that multiple times, I totally believe that in the last two weeks, he has looked like a completely different player. And he actually mentioned that, that, you know, he hurt one hamstring early in training camp and then came back and was feeling healthy a, a few weeks in the season. Then he hurt his other hamstring. And so he said that really affected him because he could not do like lower body workouts for weeks. And so he felt like he didn't have any power coming off the line and stuff like that. So he's doing more of that stuff. Now he's getting healthy and he's saying that like, that's, he thinks that that's part of why, because he's finally able to do lower body workouts. And so he's getting more of that like power rush that he's used to getting. Gotcha. So the chiefs linebackers, I know they have Anthony Hitchens who's been there for a while, but it seems like this new young crop of player crop of players, specifically Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton, are starting to take over. Can you dive into what to expect from that position group? Yeah, so Hitchens is still kind of the leader, and Steve Spagnolo loves him. He will never take Anthony Hitchens out of the game if Anthony Hitchens is healthy. And I was actually advocating for him not getting put back in the game when he was healthy because he missed a couple of games due to injury. And Nick Bolton taking over his position at the Mike linebacker looked fantastic early in the season. Nick Bolton was really, really struggling. And I think that was part of, they had to rush him along because Willie Gay jr. Wound up getting hurt and landing on IR to start the season. Mm -hmm. And so they had to rush Nick Bolton along a little bit more than they wanted to. 
And they were also putting Nick Bolton in bad situations where he's just not a coverage linebacker. Like he is, he is a run stuffing up the middle type of playmaker for them. That's what he was in college. And that's what he needs to be in the NFL. And they kept putting him in coverage situations where he was just getting absolutely torched. And so now that they're kind of putting him more in that position and they did bring Hitchens back last week, but the way they utilized Bolton was still kind of similar to how they had been using him with Hitchens off the field. And then Willie Gay is a player that Chiefs fans have been really excited about, you know, as a rookie, when he showed up on the field, you could tell like, okay, that guy's the most explosive linebacker they have on the football field. But for whatever reason, the Chiefs wouldn't use him. He just didn't get a lot of snaps as a rookie. They wouldn't put him on the field. This season, he was expected to be a starter, then got hurt, just kind of came back in the last couple of weeks. He had an interception in back-to-back games, and that's like what he can supply, is that he's just an athletic guy. He is a sideline-to-sideline guy. He is a coverage linebacker, like more of that modern-day kind of hybrid-style guy who can who can lay a hit on you, but c- who can really get after you in coverage, too. Like Willie Gay is kind of more that type of player. And he's really shown that and since he's come back from injury. And that's what the Chiefs have desperately been missing forever. Uh, they haven't had a linebacker like that since Derek Johnson in his prime. And so it's been a long time since they've had a playmaker like that. So both of them are really exciting. Uh, Anthony Hitchens doesn't really do anything for you, <laughs> in my opinion. He's not a particularly good linebacker. I think he's really overpaid. But Spags loves him, and he thinks he's like one of the leaders of the defense. So he's going to continue to trot him out there as long as he's healthy. It's it's one of those things where like the guy's got the green dot, so he's got to be on the field, right? Yes. Gotcha. So, is there a particular linebacker, specifically with the three guys that we just talked about, Willie Gay, Anthony Hitchens, and uh, Nick Bolton, that you think could give the Raiders some trouble? And if so, why is that? Um, I mean, I I would think that it's going to be Willie Gay. Uh, he, he's just really shown a lot since coming back and showing kind of what they were missing at that level, because the chiefs just did not have athletic, athletic linebackers. Uh, Ben Neiman was a guy who was playing uh, in a lot of starting situations for this defense when Willie Gay was hurt. And so it was, you know, Hitchens, Nick Bolton playing out of position and then Ben Neiman, who, is their second worst defender behind Daniel Sorensen and just had no business being on the football field. So he changes things a little bit because they haven't had a coverage linebacker at that level of the defense who can man up with running backs, who can, you know, step up on a wide receiver, a tight end if he needs to. And so I I think that that could give the Raiders some problems, you know, uh, especially in their check down game. I I would expect as far as like Waller goes, you know, maybe you see Willie Gay on him a little bit, but I would imagine the Chiefs are probably going to want to put a guy like Tyron Matthew on Waller, but, you know, Matthew doesn't exactly shadow or anything like that. And Legereus Sneed's been playing really well this season too. So, yeah, I think you'll see a lot of those three guys kind of teaming up on Waller. Gotcha. Well, you bring up Tyron Matthew. It's the next guy I wanted to talk about. And I feel bad calling him a defensive back. You're talking about how he doesn't really shadow because the guy is just kind of all over the field. He kind of fits that description of the safety where he's almost positionless, if you will. So can you tell us what he brings and means to that this Chiefs defense? Yeah, I, I mentioned that I think Chris Jones is their most important defensive player, but Tyron Matthews, the second most defensive and most important defensive player. And it's probably pretty close uh you know he hasn't had 
like an elite level season so far this year compared to what he was doing his first two years in Kansas city. And now he's been a really good story for the chiefs. Like he was a player who showed all kinds of elite promise in Arizona, but kept suffering injury setbacks and then had kind of a quiet year in Houston. And then the chiefs bring him in when they desperately needed some secondary help. And he's been a brilliant free agent signing for them and been their most, one of their most important defensive players. He's just so special because he can be a a box safety who comes up and and smacks running backs at the line of scrimmage, or he can be a total lockdown coverage guy who transforms into a slot corner or, or plays deep and, and, you know, flies all over the football field. And he gives the chiefs a lot of flexibility in the secondary that, I don't think that their secondary would look as successful as it has over the last couple of years with the way they've kind of pieced that cornerback group together, because they just simply don't put high level resources into their cornerback group. Like that's just something Brett Veach hasn't done since he took over as general manager, but they've found a way to maximize the positional value there with getting Charvarius Ward and a cheap pick who was a former undrafted player who has been a starter for them going back to uh, the 2018 playoff run. And then Legereus needs somebody they drafted last season who showed all kinds of promise is a rookie. And this season has been through a few ups and downs, but when he plays well, he plays really, really well. And a lot of the flexibility that you have with those guys is because Tyron Matthew can just play every position at the second level of the defense. There's just not that many safeties in the NFL that can do that. So Tyron Matthew, yeah, he's, he's a special player for the chiefs and he drastically affects the way they want to play defense. It's funny. It's, it's Tyron Matthew. I was reminded of this when I was uh, doing some research I'm like, Oh yeah, he did play for the Texans that one year. And so it's like, it always seems like the good players, they always circle back and left the Texans somehow some way in the recent years. So, um, but now, now we got to talk about the guy that we've kind of hinted at and has been the talk of the chiefs defense, not for the right reasons, Daniel Sorensen. Um, I don't know if this is a really good question, but I have to just kind of ask you point blank. What is he still doing on the field? Like it, like it feels like everyone who knows he's a liability out there, but nothing has changed. Is there just no one else or is his lack of success just kind of getting blown out of proportion? Well, it's not that there's no one else. So, you know, Juan Thornhill finally overtaking him on the depth chart was huge because uh, Juan Thornhill's just a better football player. <laughs> uh, so that was huge. It just goes back to Spags is a stubborn defensive coordinator, which is kind of funny because early on in his career, he he showed a lot of signs of being able to adjust with the personnel that he had. And since then, it seems like he's totally reverted to some of his lower level days. You know, he, he's coached all, all over the NFL. And that seemed to be what he was doing early on this season. Like we've joked around a lot at Arrowhead Pride about the conversation that Andy Reid had to have behind closed doors with Steve Spagnolo about Dan, Daniel Sorensen, because there was a week where it was like, it was after the Bills game where Sorensen just was getting absolutely roasted by Josh Allen and and Dawson Knox. And it was just, yeah, this is the game plan against this defense, just target 49 and (laughs) it'll go for a long touchdown every single time. So that that's part of the issue is that he's just super stubborn. I I think, and and Spags was stubborn about 
just admitting that, okay, I'm drastically wrong about Juan Thornhill and Daniel Sorensen. But while his snap count has gone down, they're still utilizing him because the Chiefs do a lot of dime looks and they, they play a lot of like heavy coverage and stuff like that, where they put two or three safeties on the field at a time. And that's why he's still getting snaps. And that's why he's still getting exploited when he's on the football field, because he's just he's a nice player who has had some high level impact plays for the Chiefs over the years, ha- has had some key moments but like he's an undrafted player who just looks like he's cooked at this point in his career. And the Chiefs should probably cut ties with him, but they won't. And they'll keep putting him on the football <laughs> field. They don't have, you know, a, a ton of other safeties that you're like excited about. Like Armani Watts is a guy that they've drafted that we've never gotten a super close look at that you're kind of like, well, can he be worse than Sorensen? Like, can <laughs> we just see what Armani Watts has? But yeah. they're never going to do it. So it's you just got to live with Daniel Sorensen on a weekly basis and hope whoever you're playing just gets confused and doesn't throw it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's, it kind of seems like Spags, and I don't know if this was uh, 100% true during his time, I believe, as a head coach in New York. It kind of seems like he's uh, just kind of gets loyal to his guys a little bit, almost to a fault, and uh, yeah, ends up ends up playing guys like Sorensen that are out there uh, being a liability. But at corner, it looks like Richard Fennin is having a pretty good year just based on looking at his PFF grades. And I know uh, he's been in Kansas City for a few years now, but more of a reserve role. So can you enlighten us on what type of player he is and how big is his role on this defense? I love Rashad Fenton. Um, <laughs> he is, since he got drafted by the Chiefs, He has been a really underrated player for them who has just never gotten enough snaps until this season where like whenever he did have to step into a larger role in the defense, he always played really well. Uh, But they insisted on, you know, go on going back to veteran players and it goes back to Spags just kind of being hard headed and wanting to stick with his guys, I think, because he finally carved out a role for himself in this defense. And he has been one of their more consistent cornerbacks. Like he, he has been a uh, super solid for them this season. Uh, you know, they traded a late round pick for former first rounder, Mike Hughes, the Minnesota Vikings. And they were really trying to push Mike Hughes early in the season. And he was just getting absolutely roasted by opposing offenses. And then a former first round pick Deandre Baker is on the team and they tried to give him some run early in the season, but he was kind of struggling and seemed like he was just struggling to pick up the defense and seemed like he was out of place a lot. And so they finally were like, okay, we'll give Rashad Fenton some run. And it's actually worked out. It just took, it just took them trying to force two other corners who weren't as good as him for them to figure out that, okay, Rashad Fenton's the best corner that that we should be putting out there uh, in, in three cornerback situations. So He's been really good for the Chiefs, and I think that he's he's just been solid. Like he's not a big time playmaker. He's not a guy that a lot of football fans are gonna know unless they're doing like real deep dives on teams. But he's just a solid, consistent player for the Chiefs, and I really like Rashad Fenton. I'm glad we got to talk about him. <laughs> I'm glad, glad, glad we did too. So you mentioned they bring him in as like that third corner. Is he kind of like the nickel, or does somebody else slide inside and cover the slot when he comes in the game? Uh, they kind of they kind of move him around, but I, I would say he he's playing outside a lot more because they like to move Legarius Sneed around. So like it, it's kind of game script dependent. It seems like you know last week Sneed was kind of covering Devonte Adams or Ward was kind of covering Devonte Adams, just depending on where Adams lined up. 
but Snead will kind of move into the slot quite a bit. He's he's just better there, and they like to use him to blitz a lot too. Uh, he's proven to be a, a super effective blitzer. He had a couple of sacks as a rookie. Uh, so he plays the slot a lot and Fenton's kind of playing more outside, but I think in the last game, they were kind of, kind of changing it up a little bit, just depending on where Devontae Adams was on the field. Gotcha. Well, you bring up with Jerry Snead and Charvavy, or I'm butchering his name. Uh, I'll just go with Ward, uh, who have taken the most snaps at corner. So what's your opinion of those two? And, uh, follow up to that is, uh, could Fenton be taking one of their spots soon if he hasn't already? Uh, I don't think so. You know, Sneed's a second year player who they're really, really high on. And he showed a ton of promise as a rookie headed into the year. There was all kinds of reports and talks about how like the chiefs think Legereus Sneed is going to be like an elite level cornerback in the NFL. And it hasn't quite been that this season, but he's still been good, still been solid and, and seems to be just improving. Like, he just looks like a young player who's still improving in his NFL career. And I've got a lot of faith in him being, uh, you know, a long-term prospect for the chiefs at that position. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's a value player that they took in the mid rounds of the draft and Travarius Ward's a player that I don't know if he's going to be here next season. Uh, you know, they brought him back on a cheap deal, but, they've gotten more than they could have ever asked from Charvarius Ward. He was a guy that they traded uh, a, like a late round pick for in 2018 when they also had the worst defense in the NFL. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes was in the middle of an MVP run and still got them to an AFC championship game. And their secondary was so bad that season with Orlando Scandrick or Orlando Scandrick that they decided like late, late in the year, like right before the playoffs. Okay. Charvarius Ward is just going to be our starter now. And this is like an undrafted rookie at this point. And he immediately was better than Orlando Scandrick <laughs> and he hasn't looked back. He's been a starting cornerback for them since. And so for the value that they've gotten out of him, Charvarius Ward has done nothing but exceed expectations for the Kansas city chiefs. Cause they put no money into him. They put, they put no assets into acquiring him. And he's just been a day one starter. He was dealing with a hand injury earlier in the year. That was kind of, I think it was kind of bothering him and affecting his play. And he was kind of down to start the season, but he's looked healthy. And he mentioned a couple of weeks ago that he, this is the healthiest he's felt all year. And it's showing on the field because he's playing better than he's played all season. So I like both those guys. And I like Fenton. I think they're, they're all guys that could potentially be here long-term, but Ward is the guy who's got a chance to possibly hit free agency this offseason. Awesome. Well, I always wrap these up by talking about the head coach and the last few weeks have been, you know, interesting conversations with the giants and the Eagles, obviously Nick Sirianni, kind of a more controversial coach. Uh, Joe judge, maybe not, maybe on his way out uh, or maybe staying, but Andy Reid probably one of the more boring head coaches to talk about right now, just because he's not going anywhere anytime soon obviously one of the better head coaches in the NFL, but I am curious, how much do you think Reed is to blame for the chiefs up and dart start to the season? Uh, I think he deserves a lot of the blame personally. Um, I love Andy. I, I think that Andy is a brilliant hall of fame head coach who is one of the greatest offensive minds we've ever seen in football. But I think that there's been a lot of talk about the chiefs kind of complacency. And I think that you could really see that last season where it felt like they were sleepwalking through the regular season just to try to get back to a super bowl. And I felt like that was apparent at multiple times last year. 
And I think that that's kind of bled into this season where, you know, it's hard when you find the type of success that they have to like really take a step back and look at yourself and be like, this isn't working. I have to adjust the game plan. I, I have to try something new to get the most out of the situation that we're in. And I don't feel like Andy has done a very good job of that so far this season, because this chief's offense, while it is struggling, this offense is the reason you're going to win championships. This offense is supposed to be the thing that you can always count on. And Andy Reid's play calling is supposed to be the thing that you can always count on. And the last two weeks, something that they've done better than they had in previous weeks was those kind of opening 15 play game scripts that Andy Reid's famous for implementing. Uh, Chiefs are always, you know, near the top of the NFL and scoring on opening drives and stuff like that. And part of that is those game scripts from Andy Reid. The past two weeks, those have been exceptional. Like the Chiefs have moved the ball straight down the field and scored early in the football game. But then after that, it all falls apart and they start struggling to move the ball and they're not putting up points the same way. And I think a lot of that, you know, it, it falls on everything that's happening on the football field, but a lot of that also falls on the head coach and the guy who's making the play calls because that means he's not adjusting. That means he's just trying to do the same things over and over and over again, because they found success in the past. They're just not finding that success this season. And so I think that he's got to take a look at himself a little bit more in the way that he's approaching games this season. And I, I'm hopeful that he will, but like, as you already mentioned, a lot of these coaches in the NFL are just stubborn and they think that their system is the way to do it. And that if their system's not working, it's because the players aren't executing properly when sometimes you just don't have the personnel to execute and you got to change things up a little bit. I think that's what the chiefs have to do. Yeah. I mean, and building off that too, I think one of the hardest things about being a head coach and being a successful one for a sustained period of time is being able to have success and still find things to fix, right. Or still point out your deficiencies and not go with the old, well, it hasn't been an issue yet, which is where I think, you know, a guy like Bill Belichick, what he's, what's made him, you know, arguably the greatest coach of all time is there's definitely never been a, a shortage of him making changes. And uh, even when they're on in the middle of a, a Super Bowl dynasty, winning three out of four or whatever it was that, in that run. But one last question. Do you think this is the year that Eric BME finally gets a head coaching gig in the offseason? And how much would you miss him if he's gone? I would miss him a lot. Um, I don't think he's going to get a head coaching gig. Um, I think that if he couldn't get one in the previous two years, then he's probably just not going to get one as much as it hurts me to say. I think he'd be a fantastic head coach. I think that there's too much emphasis in the modern day NFL around these head coaches who basically – are in charge, the end all be all of everything. Kind of like Kyle Shanahan is in San mm. Francisco right now. And we're kind of seeing how that thing's imploding yeah. uh, before our eyes, even though we know Kyle Shanahan can be a brilliant play caller in the NFL, but it seems like he's just got a little bit too much power and there's kind of a struggle going on organizationally there right now. I think we saw that with Andy Reed at the end in Philadelphia, where he just had too much power, was doing too many things. And he's kind of taken a step back from that in Kansas city. Um, I think that there should be more of an emphasis when looking for NFL head coaches, kind of like Harbaugh in Baltimore, where he was a special teams coordinator, comes in and, you know, maybe he's not a brilliant offensive mind or a defensive mind, but what he is exceptional at is managing players and managing the people within his infrastructure. I think Andy Reid or Eric Bieniemy, sorry, can be that kind of guy. I think that he is a very good offensive minded coach. 
who could do fine things for your offense if that's what you wanted to bring him in specifically for. But if you listen to his press conferences, he is a really intelligent, thoughtful person who knows how to get the players on his side. And I think that that's really, really important in the modern day NFL. So I think he would be an exceptional head coach. I think he deserves to be an exceptional head coach. I don't think he's going to be a head coach because you can't do better on your resume than having back-to-back Super Bowl appearances with a history-making offense. And then coming into this season, the Chiefs offense is struggling and they're struggling to figure things out. And so I I think that that kind of, that's the way the narrative is going to wind up playing out for Eric Bieniemy is that he's probably just not going to wind up being an NFL head coach. Maybe he goes to college. I, I don't know. I think he deserves to be a head coach and I think he'd be great at it if he ever gets that opportunity. Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, you don't have to bring up uh, head coaches having too much power with Raider fans. I mean, we're going through it right now with uh, the Gruden changes. Obviously last week uh, was a bit of a, a wrench into that, that narrative, but um, obviously more circumstances is off the field that kind of played a role in there. But yeah, I mean, Raiders are a perfect example of that Gruden had uh, had full autonomy. And ever since he's been gone, minus the Giants game has been a, been a lot different since he's left. So. Well, Steven, appreciate you guys. Appreciate you for coming on one more time. Where can people find you find you out on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Steven Serta. It's just my name. Uh, it's where I talk about a lot of NFL, not just the chiefs. So if you're just interested in NFL opinions, podcasts, I do a lot of other stuff at SB nation outside of Arrowhead pride in the chiefs. So if you want to give me a follow, feel free. Awesome. Well, everybody go follow Steven. You guys know where to find me, Adam Holder, 95, follow silver and black pride. Please rate, review, subscribe, download all that good stuff for us. Other than that, until next time, guys.